We shall be reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verses 10 to 22. Again, that is Exodus, chapter 25, verses 10 to 22. They shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed from it. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold and make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. The Holy of Holies. We've finally reached the throne room from the outer court. We see the altar of sacrifice and then the brazen laver and entering we see the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense, each with profound meaning. The one who studies scripture must first ask, what did it mean then? What did the author mean? And we study it with its context. The written text, the context of the text, but also the historical context as well. Once we have answered that they would worship God in this form, in this way, because God said to Moses, build it according to pattern. Not in any way you want it, but according to the pattern that I show you. We can say that God has patterns. And God is interested in the details. Every measurement must be exact. Every material must be the material that was needed for that or was commanded for that part. Whether it's a curtain or one of the furniture. Everything must be in order. God is a God of pattern. Then we ask if we understood what it meant to them. What does it mean to us here today? 
Jesus said that he fulfilled the law and the prophets. And the ceremonial law, which includes the tabernacle, is part of that law that he fulfilled. When one studies Hebrews, we can see that the old, including the ceremonial aspects of the law, is but a shadow of who was to come, Jesus Christ. And even Jesus Christ said to his disciples, he explained not only that he fulfilled the law and the prophets, there is a part there that he explained throughout the Old Testament who he was there. So it gives us some guidance, a lens to look at the old, that somehow the New Testament writers, when they wrote things, perhaps in their mind were thinking of the Old Testament law, not only law in terms of how they treat one another, not just the civil law about being a good neighbor, about loving the neighbor, not just about not worshiping any other gods aside from God and not taking his name in vain, but also the pattern of the ceremony. And we have had a wonderful journey. And if you missed some parts of it, you may look at our website, gcfnaga.com. And look for there, there are audio and perhaps some video links where you can see the sermons of the past. It was a wonderful journey. Now we are near the end. We will discuss the last two pieces of furniture and what it means to us today. And then next Sunday, we will summarize it as a whole from beginning to end and its significance for us as believers of today, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again. The Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was like a throne room. Israel had no king at this time. God alone was the king. The Holy of Holies contained two pieces of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. Although there were two, remember, they were treated as one. Scripture would often refer to them as one furniture, just called the Ark of the Covenant. Israel took the Ark to battle. It was a symbol of their presence. It was like their banner as well. And they have won many victories as long as they obeyed the Lord. As long as they trusted the Lord, the Ark was a symbol that gave them victory. The Ark was holy and they treated it with profound respect, but they did not worship it. Please remember that. They did not worship the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was not duplicated in every tent, in every home to be worshipped. There was no command of that. They treated it with profound respect, but when they did not respect it, 
there were consequences. For example, when Uzzah touched the ark with his hand, God struck him dead. Do we have 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 to 7? But when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. One example. Now, some of you might be thinking, can God really do that? Yes, he can. Does God really do that? Of course he does. That's what's in the Bible. Many have preached a wrong concept of God, where you have a God of love, but not a God of justice. It cannot be separated. We expect the president to be just, even if, for example, the president's son or daughter committed the crime, you expect that president to fulfill justice. No favoritism. But does that mean he does not love the son or daughter? No, that does not mean that. God is just. He is a God of justice, and he is a God of love. And his love, may I emphasize again and again, is found in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. There is no discussion outside that. That is why it is well to preach that God is holy and just. And he will not let sin go unpunished. And people, including you and I, should feel how heavy and grave that is. And then we must understand the grace of God once we understood the heaviness of the law on our shoulder. The law is heavy, for no one can fulfill the law. No one can be sinless. If you had a lustful thought once in your life, you have sinned. Jesus even increased the standard. If you look upon them with lust, you've already sinned. If you have anger in your heart, you have committed murder. Only holy anger is allowed, actually, and you should not even let that last for a long time. God is a God of justice. Here we see he struck Uzzah dead right on the spot. Because in the first place, Uzzah and his tribe should not have put the ark on the cart. The pattern was, that's why there were poles. If you read, there were rings so that the poles can go through the rings. It should be carried, not put on a cart. Today, you cannot put it on your pickup truck. It should be carried. There was a pattern, and they did not follow the pattern. And worst, because of their irresponsibility on how to handle the symbol of his presence, one mistake led to another. Thus, God struck him dead. They forgot to transport the ark according to God's pattern. Thus, we have said before, God is a God of details. He is interested in the details of our lives. 
Every thought we think, every emotion we feel, the words that come out of our mouths, our behavior, and our decision. We must strive by His grace to live according to the pattern of Scripture. Today, it is the pattern of the New Testament. Because God is a God of detail. Every emotion you have, you have to think and pray, is this correct? Is this pleasing to God or not? Because if not, then we must come to the place of prayer and wrestle in prayer, in all humility before God, seeking for the grace of God that we may overcome that negative or sinful emotion. Of course, the world will say, just do your best and God will take care of the rest. A phrase, cliche, but not exactly found in scripture. Scripture didn't say do your best, although it, it's not totally wrong. But what's more important is what? You come in humility before God, knowing that he is God. And God is a person, and that we offended God. Yet we understand, yet if we come and repent, God is a forgiving God. That part is left out. Let's look at the furniture. First, the bottom part. It is like a box. Can we see the picture, please, of the Ark of the Covenant? Below... It is the Ark of the Covenant. The lid is called the mercy seat. We will explain why. Like we said, it is like a throne. But somebody said, I don't see any chair there. Because it is God's throne on earth, symbolically. He doesn't need a throne. But symbolically, for the sake of Israel, for the sake of, of the humans, of, of the nation of Israel, he called it a mercy seat. That's why he said, I will meet you there. Now let's talk about the ark. In the ark contained the testimony. What is a testimony? The tablets of the Ten Commandments, which meant that God ruled with justice. In those days, the kings would put a copy of their law underneath their chair, their throne so that they could refer to it every now and then. Perhaps to make Israel understand that this, this is the throne of God, the law was put there, which meant that God ruled with justice. Let us not neglect the justice of God. There are consequences, even to us believers, we believe we are justified by faith, forgiven by Christ Jesus, and he has caused us to repent and believe. We believe we are forgiven, yes, but we still need to fear him. Why? There are always consequences to our actions. What you sow, you shall reap. If we sow in faith and obedience, this is the law of the farm. If you sow a seed and you nurture that seed, it grows to be a tree. 
And when the tree grows, you have more fruits to harvest. It can happen both ways. If we sow what is evil, if we sow something that comes from hatred and bitterness and anger and envy, one day we will reap that in return. If we sow in deception, deceiving others, lying about something to others, lying to so many people, one day you will reap an abundance of people lying against you and betraying you as well. In the same way, if we sow in faith, we obey because we believe. If we sow because we trust God, then we can trust that God will bless us in abundance as well, in his way, in his time. And that is always a mystery. Because God does have a pattern, but still, God is unique to each and every one of us in the way he blesses us. It's just different from all of us. Even our trials are not exactly the same. Because God has created you unique, but the patterns are the same. Everybody will be tested. Everybody will go through the fire. Everybody must learn to trust him in the midst of the trial. Everybody must learn to not look on the outside. We must learn not to live by sight, but by faith. The ark was a shadow of the ark that was in heaven. Yes, there is an ark in heaven. So what was on earth, part of the things that God wants done here is a reflection of what is there. Aside from that, these symbols that represent Christ is also merely a shadow, but Jesus is the substance which is who, who came and died for us. Let us read Revelations 11 verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. I just wanted to show that there is an ark in heaven. So the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of God's presence, but it is also a symbol of God's justice. But then the story has not ended. And the final piece of the furniture is a lid called the mercy seat. And it covered the Ark of the Covenant. And they remember that the Ark contained the testimony, the law. One could surmise that although God ruled with justice, he preferred to rule with mercy. Yet both are necessary because God cannot deny who he is, his attributes. He is just and he is merciful at the same time. Yet who receives justice and mercy belongs to him. That's why we say he is the sovereign God. Although the death of Christ is sufficient for the sin of the world, it is only efficient for the few who will be saved. Jesus said, wide is the road to destruction, but narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. And I love this furniture, the mercy seat. 
There are two, two cherubim. Singular, it's cherub. Plural, cherubim. And their wings touch each other. They face each other, but not looking at each other. Their heads are tilted and looking at the mercy seat. And we know that Jesus Christ is a symbol of this mercy seat as he was a symbol of justice as well. Because one day he will come and execute justice on the earth, but he is also the mercy of God. And the blood of the sacrifice that the priest brings once a year is poured there at the mercy seat. He was the sacrifice, it was his blood, the perfect sacrifice, and his blood that was poured there, and he is as well the symbol of the mercy seat. God prefers that people be in Christ because that is the expression of God's mercy. We must preach the justice of God. We must speak to people and say, if you do not repent and believe, you will suffer eternally, eternally. And 100 years is just the beginning of eternally. We must speak to them directly about the justice of God, not just the love of God. That's why we have a problem. If preachers, you and me, only speak about the love of God to people, they will have no concept of the justice of God. You know what they call that in families to those who don't respect their, children, their parents but want the love of the parents? They're called spoiled brats and they're good for nothing. They want everything to get from the family, but they do not want to show respect and honor. Those are spoiled brats. And that's the problem. We've got a lot of people who think they are believers, but they are not because they never understood repentance. They thought they are in Christ because they said a special prayer. But if they did not truly repent in their hearts and truly believed, which means God did not truly choose them in the first place, then they are damned eternally. Why do we need to preach that? We need to preach that to show that God is a God of justice. And please do not apologize for God. If somebody says, oh, I don't want to serve that God. Oh, he doesn't need you. I'm just here to present to you, to preach to you the gospel. But he does not need you if you don't want in the end, he has the power and you do not. He has the power of eternity and you are nothing but one of the souls who will cry, forgive me when the time has passed. When the time of mercy is gone, many will say, have mercy on me. Both are necessary. Yet we must also preach the grace of God. His amazing grace. You see, grace, yes, mercy is there, but there is more than that. It's not just mercy, I forgave you. It's grace, I'm giving you favor as well. A favor that you do not deserve. And once we understand we do not deserve that mercy, and we do not deserve that favor, then we are beginning to grow in the Christian life. We have made the first step. Sa wakas, nakuha mo din. But if we still harp about how good we are, the progress we've made, such is not the way. 
Now, in the Ark of the Covenant were the mercy seat, point number three, God would commune with the people on top of the mercy seat. His presence would come down there, which meant that God prefers mercy over judgment. And I rejoice in this. The mercy seat covers, it covers the law, praise God. Covers my sins. I have failed the law. But praise God through Jesus Christ. My sins are covered by his blood. Now it makes sense. Why do we keep saying about the blood, the blood? New Testament, I speak about the blood. They were referring to this. When the blood is poured over the mercy seat. God was merciful to Israel. Yet God would reveal his grace through Christ for all peoples. God needed a nation to show who he was. But the plan was to invite all nations. All nations. The tabernacle was for Israel. Christ came to fulfill that. But the mystery that was hidden, as we have discussed in Ephesians, if you were in our Ephesian class, the mystery that was revealed is the mercy of God was not just for Israel, but for all peoples of the world. And that included us. Application. Number one, the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. Let's look at Romans 3.20. The purpose of the law is to reveal sin. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You see, if you try to work out the law, the commandments, no flesh, you will not be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what is the purpose of the law to reveal what sin was? Before the law, it was simply conscience. Still is, if you don't have the law. You will be judged by your conscience, and everybody will be judged to have failed their conscience, actually. But it comes, the knowledge of sin. God gave the law to make us understand what sin is. And God hates sin. Let us then remember that God is a God of justice who hates sin. Thus, we should fear Him. God hates sin. But may I also say to you, and but this is not the time for me to expose it on it, but one day I will expose it on one truth that many of us do not want to preach, that God also hates the sinner. We've been in this cliche, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. God loves everybody, and his expression was the death of Jesus Christ. That's it. But if you continue, if you look at John 3.16 and read further, 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 look at the context. If you do not believe, you are already judged. For outside Christ is what? The wrath and justice of God. You know that we should fear God and respect Him, even if there is no hell. Oh, but there is eternal damnation, okay? But those who are saved by grace, definitely we are justified. Yes. 
Again, the perfect example is the home. One must respect the father. Though you know the father will not kill you if they are a good father. The father will not kill you. Still concerned about you. You don't have to be afraid about those things. He will make you eat. He will give you a place to stay and nourish you. But still, you respect the Father. The law is a law. Let us not neglect the justice of God. Now, that's why I sort of question if a person says he believes in God but does not understand who he is, then there's a question mark for me. That's why we keep preaching the gospel in all its angles. So somehow, hopefully, they understand it. Because some think believing in Christ is just saying a sinner's prayer or he believe, they believe he exists. Some just say, if you confess that he is Lord, and I do, I do believe that, if that is true and genuine. But remember that Jesus also said, not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. We reconcile those two, meaning if you do confess Lord, Jesus is Lord, you turn away from your sins, still repentance. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, let everyone who names the name of the Lord must abstain from wickedness. It's the same author, Romans and 2 Timothy. If you confess that he is Lord, and then it says here with the same author in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that what? He who names the name of the Lord must refrain from sin, from wickedness. So how do you reconcile the two? It simply means there must be repentance of turning away. Number two, the grace of God is in Christ alone. That's the theme for our year. Solus Christus. Christ alone. He was fulfilled. No, he was the fulfillment of the mercy seat. Let us read John chapter 20, verse 21. Oh, I'm sorry. It's John 20, verse 11. John 20, verse 11 is when Mary Magdalene saw the resurrected Christ. And when he saw the resurrected Christ, what happened? There were two angels beside him. Somehow, somehow, if you think about it, there seems to be a reflection of the mercy seat. For Christ is the mercy of God. And when he resurrected, there were two angels beside him. Thus men should trust in Christ alone for eternal salvation. His perfect sacrifice was sufficient for the world's sin, but efficient only to those who believe. And it is not the kind of belief that demons also believe. So please do not be misguided. Some people think, I believe in Christ, so what's new? Well, you see, that kind of belief you have in Christ should be a belief so great that it is actually, another word, is faith, that you entrust your whole life to him and his word. If you do not trust in the word, you do not believe in Christ. If you do not trust in what he said, 
If you do not trust his apostles when they wrote and explained to us what happened, remember the prayer of Jesus, I pray for these and those who will believe in these. That's why we respect the apostles' teaching, which is the New Testament. Because not only those who will believe in Christ, but those who will believe in them. You'll find that in John 17. So if you believe in Christ, you truly believe in him, you believe in his word. James said, even the demons believe in him. But they have no salvation, right? That's why I have an issue if you don't have an appetite for the scriptures. You see, a, if you have a new birth, you know, baby, I pray we have more babies in church from, from married couples, of course. When you see babies, they're hungry, they cry. They call your attention. I'm hungry. In the middle of the night, the mother wakes up, feeds the baby. A person who truly experienced the new birth, born from above, born of God, should be hungry for the word. And if the baby is not hungry, does not call for milk, what do pediatricians say? the baby might be sick. Kahit hindi na baby yan, lumaki lang yan ng konti. Pag walang gana kumain at hindi tumatakbo, may sakit siguro yan. A person who says he's a Christian but has no appetite for the Word of God, no appetite to meditate on Scripture, to learn from Scripture, my question mark, are you sick spiritually or you were never born? Ever. Please don't be lazy when I say to you, especially those who believe they've been in the Lord for a long time, test what you believe. Test the cliches. But some are too lazy. They just go to the default setting of what they believed. But many, I should say, we should question. I don't believe in blind faith. I believe in a faith that studies the word of God carefully and clearly. Christ, we must trust for our eternal salvation. His perfect sacrifice was sufficient for the world's sin, but only efficient to those who believe. Thus, we should believe in his grace. Once you realize you desperately need him. You're beginning to understand, just beginning to understand. Take note, desperately need him. Desperately need his grace. You are just beginning to understand. That's the point you're probably a Christian or beginning to be one. Because unless we understand that, And we don't understand it. Number three, God's presence today lives in his church and each true believer. Therefore, we must rejoice. The mercy seat, that's where God's presence is. And he says, I will speak to you there, to whoever represents Israel. 
the high priest will commune with God. In the olden days, it was reserved for a few to see a partial, a portion of the glory of God. Not full, because you die. They die. They would die. But some were allowed to see a portion of the glory of God. In these days, praise the Lord, the Spirit of God lives within us. Thus, we have what they never had in Christ. That's why the promise of the Spirit in Christ, Christ is the greatest gift for our sins. The Spirit is the greatest gift as companion for us on earth. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and together as a church, when we gather, we rejoice and celebrate the presence of God. And we also rejoice every week. Why do we rejoice in Christ? Because it reflects the Ark of the Covenant, that God prefers mercy over judgment, that God prefers grace over wrath. He does. And we praise God for that. But the people of God should never forget his justice. Please do not. Do not live your life like a hedonist just for your own pleasure. Ah, you will be tempted because of the flesh, because of the lust of the eyes. We will be tempted because of the pride of life. But then we must remember we are nothing. Nothing. Only by the grace we stand. By the grace of God. I am nothing. You are nothing. All our good works is nothing. All our accomplishments means nothing. Compared to what? Compared to the gift of God to us. Christ Jesus. Overall, the blood of Christ covers our sins. Praise the Lord. Turn away from sin with all your heart. But if ever you do sin, remember that God is merciful. But then we say to people, if you're a true believer, you will not abuse that mercy. What do you mean? Well, you just... You know, God is a forgiving God, so I'll just keep on sinning. He'll forgive me anyway. Uh, that is a person who never understood the justice of God. You see, although God is a loving God. You know, God chose Jacob. He chose Jacob over Esau, the brother. But Jacob had to live a sorrowful life on earth because of a consequence. He tried to deceive his father. But then again, I say to you, we look to God and the mercy of God. Now is not the day of the Old Testament. Now is a day of the New Covenant. So whatever happened to Jacob is a reminder for us. But we know, we know with all our hearts, God can give us a new beginning today. Why? Grace is always more than our sins. But does that mean we should continue to sin? May it never be, said the apostle. May it never be. But if ever we do sin, John said, 
He is the propitiation of our sins, meaning he was the atonement. He paid for it dearly with his life. What does that mean? He is our high priest as well, who continues to intercede for us before the Father, even if we sin. The high priest goes to the mercy seat on behalf of sinful Israel. He comes there regularly. Once a year, he goes there seeking for the mercy of God for Israel. Jesus Christ himself, the Son, comes to God on our behalf continuously. Continuously. God is good. Let us all rise. Lord, we thank you for your message. We thank you for making us understand the meaning of the tabernacle and the items found there. And we could see that it all reflects Christ and his teachings explained by the apostles in the different letters in the New Testament. Thank you for we live in Christ and the Spirit lives in us today. Thank you that you gave us this history to give us some understanding. Yet we know our minds are limited, but you are not. We are but rubbish and all we do are rubbish, Lord. But by your grace, you have valued us because of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Therefore, Lord, we come to you not presenting our own merits, not presenting ourselves, though you want us to strive to mature in Christ, and we shall and we will by your Spirit and by your grace. Yet we only come before your throne with the confidence found in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul the Apostle said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. So we say we are what we are because of the grace of God. And we thank you that we can come boldly into the throne of grace because of Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. Amen. Good morning, people. God is good.